Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know I've talked to people from every state, from Maine to Hawaii, Alaska to Florida, all points in between, from school board to U.S. Senate, and uh, all with the purpose of hopefully encouraging people to consider running for office. But not just any people, hopefully good people, because as we learn, there are some great people running for office or in office, not so great people. The best way to take the replace the not-so-good people is to have some good folks, and that includes my guest today from Virginia. Her name is Jade Harris. She's a vice mayor. She has some experience running for office, including right now, and uh, hopefully we're all going to learn a lot and be encouraged as well. Jade, thanks for talking today. Thanks for having me, Tony. I'm really excited. Yeah, so um, before we start with everything else, we were just saying, where in Virginia are you? Because it's not a tiny state. Right, so I'm in Rockbridge County, and uh, it's kind of between halfway between Stanton City and Roanoke City in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, I'm specifically from Glasgow, and that's where the Maury River has its conjunction with the James River. Um, hopefully that narrows it down a little bit better. I've heard people from Glasgow. You don't sound like you're from Glasgow, but I guess I got the wrong one in mind. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely from Glasgow. Like, Glasgow is, like, my ancestors have lived there basically since before the town was even formally called a town. So, so. but you, so the podcast is called You Should Run, and obviously you have experience there. But before we get to that, have you always been politically minded? Is it something that you've always considered? Or was there something that kind of made you go from, yeah, I'll vote, to I'm going to take more action than just being a voter? Well, um, I've basically been into politics since my mom took me with her to vote. I think it was the 2004 election, maybe, for John Kerry. Mm -hmm. That was the first time she ever took me to vote, and I've been interested ever since. I mean, imagine a 10-year-old asking her mother to explain the Electoral College to her and actually being excited about it. So I've always been kind of following politics. Um, In Glasgow itself, I went to town council meetings with my mom from, like, the age of 12, 13, up until basically when I ran for it myself. So if you were involved in that with town council stuff from a young age, a lot of things have changed since 2004, 2006, etc. Um, what have you seen has been the biggest change, I guess, locally to what people care about? Um, I guess locally, I mean, in respect to like 2004, I was seven, so I can't really speak a lot about it. Right, but just like people have evolved there. They're not necessarily the same uh, the same issues as when you first started paying attention? I mean, I guess with local issues, it's still pretty much the same concerns. I mean, water, their water bills, mm-hmm. basically keeping the water out of their yards. That's been a focus in Glasgow since uh, the town's founding, just due to the location and the flooding issue. It's always going to be about water, uh, the care of the roads, making sure we have police officers that are doing what they're supposed to be doing, that sort of thing. I mean, at the end of the day, they might post on Facebook about, like, uh, Trump or anything like that, but they really do care about those kitchen table issues that hit them directly. And, and that's wa- I don't see that changing anytime soon. And water is definitely something that happens at your kitchen table, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, with that in mind, yeah, you were paying attention to local stuff. Did you know early on in life, um, though to a lot of people you are still early on in life, I guess, uh, but did you know yeah. from a very young age that you wanted to maybe take a stab at running for office? Oh, yeah. 
basically since I was nine years old, I knew I wanted to run for office one day, and I'm making it happen, so. And, you know, right now, the word politician is such a dirty word, um, and we teach kids, kids learn from TV, from their parents, like, um, they hear politicians say, I'm not a politician, or all this dirty stuff. What do you think about how we should talk to kids about what that means? I think we should talk to kids and tell them to be discerning, to not write someone off just because they have run for office. A lot of people run for office to do good. Uh Now, whether or not they end up doing good, that's a different story. But you have to take each individual on an individual case-by-case basis. Otherwise, that leads to apathy. That leads to disillusionment with the process. That leads to the bad people basically getting free reign to do what they want because the good people are looking the other way because they think it's a lost cause when it's really, truly not. And you are a vice mayor in Glasgow, correct? Not any longer. So my term expired December 31st of 2022. So, But you you were. So what exactly is a vice mayor? Because we don't have that. We have a mayor in my town. Um, what, what kind of work did you do as vice mayor in Glasgow and how did you decide that that was something you wanted to do? Okay. So yeah, vice mayor in Glasgow is actually a brand new position. I was the first vice mayor in the town's entire history. And that was just implemented because our, um, immediate past mayor, he was an EMT, so Mm -hmm. he wouldn't be able to make all of our council meetings which would result in us having issues with running them. And we wanted to have something in place just in case something like that happened again. And we would have a vice mayor to conduct the meetings, you know, just follow the uh, Roberts rules. But as a member of council, I still did all the council work in addition to being vice mayor. I think I ran one or two meetings overall during my time. But And I'm on my borough council. I think local politics is often really overlooked there's so much that we do that people don't pay attention to aside from like you said go on facebook and complain and then we don't see them in person Uh, what are some of the things that you've learned especially being a younger person about the power of local office well you know that's where basically the the power of local office is really where all the power truly lies so the federal government can write a bill And they can say to states and local governments, here's this amount of money we're giving you, do with it, these guidelines. It's up to local governments to actually implement that. And they have an incredible amount of power in implementing it. So uh, take, for example, the American Rescue Plan. Uh, Localities across the country were given funds, and they've all used them in different ways. Some localities decided, hey, we don't really like the feds. We're not too interested in using them. There was some discussion about um, that on my own town council. I said, this is never going to happen again. We need to utilize this money during the time we have allotted to use it. And we need to use it in ways that we may never be able to do so again. And so we were able to revitalize our water systems. We're still doing a lot of work with that. Um, Our community center was able to get a brand new roof and HVAC system. Um, We were able to update some of our other water treatment plants, Mm -hmm. like our OSHA-compliant lights now. They're OSHA-compliant. They weren't before. Um, We were able to get our rescue squad an ambulance. It's those things that really make the most impact. And, I mean, it's the entire reason why we have local government. The federal government isn't too concerned whether or not Glasgow has a brand-new ambulance or not. It's up to the people of Glasgow to make sure they get one. Yeah, though, in my experience, there's a lot of members of Congress who love to get their picture taken with that new stuff when they can, right? Like, they, people like to get credit. 
Oh, yeah. Well, my congressman better not try it because he voted against the American Rescue Plan. So, Oh, well, I am sorry to brag, but both my congresswoman who we had before and after redistricting my new congresswoman, they both voted for it. And we've benefited, thankfully, from good leadership. Uh, you know, with that in mind, what have you seen as kind of the relationship that local government can have in a, in a positive way? Without an example necessarily, but how do you see that the federal government should work with local governments? I mean, it's just that listening to what they need, um, making sure that small little towns aren't left out of big decisions like, you know, just ARPA in general or other decisions like that, taking things like that into account. I mean, for example, we're extremely rural. If um, the federal government were to give, say, a huge grant to um, localities to implement something like light rail, that's great for localities like Richmond, and Norfolk, that would be wonderful, but Glasgow doesn't really benefit because we can't benefit. We don't have the population. So it wouldn't be very fair for them to get this and then say, well, Glasgow, uh, we've already implemented this much money for the state of Virginia and for transportation. When we'll say we would really need like our roads updated because we have a lot of truckers passing through. Well, and you're talking about big decisions. You are now running for the state Senate in Virginia. And as yeah. a lot of us paying attention to national politics have seen, the the state government in Virginia is very contentious, very divided, and very important because of the one or two seats can swing a lot of policy. What made you to decide to run for state government? So I decided to run for state government because, again, that one or two seats can sway things. I mean, on the Democrat side, we've got some senators who are, in fact, uh, more swayable towards the pro-life side of things. And if we were to have the option of having a pro-choice constitutional amendment, that one vote could be catastrophic for the Democrat side because we could have a defector, you know? So we need a stronger Senate coalition to balance that out to give us more of a fighting chance. And um, let's see. I think I answered the question. Well, so what are some of the things, obviously choice is so important, unfortunately, on a state level, right? Like, yeah. A few months ago, we would have, or a year ago, we would have assumed that, well, we'll have that protected. But what are some of the other things that you would hope to be able to do or that the state uh, government could do to help people in your community? Right, right, right. So, you know, again, Glasgow's pretty small. The Shenandoah Valley as a whole is extremely rural. We could use some more industry. Marijuana legalization, that's something that's fallen by the wayside in recent times in the uh, Virginia State Legislature. I mean, the Republicans said they were hesitantly for it, and they would make sure that we could have legal sales, and as soon as they got control of the House again, that went out the window. We're not going to see it in 2024. I want to get that jump started again, because I think that's something that we here in the Shenandoah Valley could really benefit from. I mean, we've got farmland, we've got people that are ready, we've got I mean, there were businesses that were ready to go years ago, sales, and then the government just let it go. And those businesses have since closed, or they're just hanging on by a thread now. And um, I think that's another thing that we could really use. Yeah, you talk about rural issues. And from I've been talking to people across the country in state government, and it really seems like there are a number of issues that are negatively impacting rural Americans uh, politically. One is that Republicans are so focused on winning only by culture issues that they're kind of neglecting the bread and butter issues in rural communities. Is that something that you're seeing in your area? 100%. I mean, our utility bills are 
skyrocketing and there's seemingly no one willing to do anything about that. I mean, I see people this past winter, their uh, uh, heating bills, their electricity bills were over $600 a month. Mm-hmm. that's insane to me. I mean, and no one's willing to do anything about it. And it's not like this winter was particularly brutal. We didn't have very much snow, if at all, in some areas. Yeah. So are, are people not, are, do you think that the legislators are not coming back? There's no incentive to focus on those bread and butter issues on water and heating issues. If you can just win by going after trans people or going after abortion rights. One hundred percent. There is no incentive to govern. It, it's just all about attacking, 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 and they're not doing the actual work of governing. I, I say this a lot, but I think politics should be more boring. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be this glitz and glamour. It shouldn't be WWE on the floor every day about these issues. It should really be boring stuff like calculating affordable energy rates. It should be about making sure 81 has the improvements it needs, whether that's pushing numbers of VDOT workers, seeing how many to hire. That stuff, isn't, it, it, that stuff isn't appealing. It's not good television, so they're not interested in it. You can't make a flashy ad about it. We really need to get away from in politics. Yeah, and I remember one of the people who was really inspirational to everyone around the country from Virginia, Danica Rome, trans mm-hmm. a legislator who won, and her whole thing was, let's fix the traffic and the roads here in my community. And something that was, uh, it was an uphill battle against an incumbent, and that was able to help her win. Do you think that that's a way that Democrats may be able to win some of these tougher races, is going back to those you know reasonable issues instead of focusing on the battleground the Republicans want to fight on. 100%, but at the same time, I think it's important to note and make sure it's known that, hey, the Republicans are attacking these subsets of the population. We are focused on these kitchen table issues, but we are also focused on making sure that you, these groups aren't unfairly targeted, that you have someone that has your back. I mean, trans rights is something that's incredibly important to me, mm-hmm. and these attacks that I keep seeing, I, I just can't sit there and talk about only like water, infrastructure. That's all vital to my campaign, but so is trans rights. It's just as important to me, and I think we do need to make that known. Yeah, is that a balancing act that progressives and Democrats, especially older Democrats, might be making, and younger people are telling them diff- something different, of neglecting the very real human cost of ignoring some of those issues just to win the next election? One hundred percent. You can't ignore them. I mean, people are they're losing health care. They're being unfairly targeted. They're being discriminated against, discriminated against and they're dying. And you can't just sit there and be like, oh, well, that's not convenient. This election cycle, maybe the next one, because that's fake. That's not real. And I just it's sick. I'm sorry. Now, one thing I've noticed as well is there are now finally two states that have a majority female legislature, and that's Nevada and Colorado. So out west, they're doing pretty well at electing women, but the rest of the country, including here in Pennsylvania, not doing so well. Um, there's 500,000 elected positions in this country, and only 30, uh, 30% of them are um, held by women, which obviously doesn't make sense when 51% of the population is women. What do you think the difference would be if we had a majority female legislature um, and female government in Virginia? No matter the parties. Um, No matter the parties. Well, 
I guess they'd get along a little better. I mean, Virginia is a weird state in that on paper things could look pretty contentious, but in the reality in the state house, everyone is pretty amicable. I mean, I see people on both sides of the aisle posting selfies together. They eat cookies together. They do like the oyster thing outside. It's hard with the gender balance because, you know, we've got some pretty wild women here, too, on the Republican side. I mean, we've got, um, uh, oh, Amanda Chase. That's yes. what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But do and you, so it, it, do oh, you think that, like, we would have different kinds of priorities if we had more women in charge of government? Not just electing one or two here and there, but having female majorities in terms of the perspective they bring and what they might propose as legislation. I guess so. I, I think there would be more of a focus on, um, see, what do you call it? Early childhood education, you know, just these, uh, traditionally seen as women's roles. Um, I guess so. Yeah. So, uh, with that in mind, you also said you see a lot of people getting along in the state government and in local government, it's pretty easy to get along. I assume you had good relationships in local government. But what are your oh, like, yeah. personal feelings about, like, I can get along with my friend Megan. We're both in the same party um, because I know that neither of us are trying to take anyone's rights away. But, like, it's kind of weird to take a selfie and party along with people who I have, like, strong views against. Are you able – how do you think people should be able to thread that needle of being amicable and friendly and also – understanding those very severe differences right so um it's all a balancing balancing act once again but i know personally i couldn't take a selfie with someone who threatened to take someone that i love's rights away once it, it becomes less about taxation and what level is appropriate and basic governance stuff like that and then it gets more into the i guess um further left-wing, right-wing kind of things of, like, who gets rights, who gets to vote, who gets to vote when. That's when things start to fall apart for me. I'm not going to take a selfie with you if you're going to take the rights of my friends away. I'm not going to have cookies with you if you're going to um, tell me that black history isn't important to teach in schools. I can't do that just on a personal level. I might not cuss you out on the floor of the hall, but, like, you know, I'm not also going to take pictures with you. One thing that also I remember happening in Virginia is that there's so many people who like to pretend that your governor is moderate, and obviously we may not agree with that, but but they were talking about how Republicans had switched the way that they nominated people statewide because they were afraid of Amanda Chase, for example, because she would probably win with the base. Do you see that as being a problem in terms of how people get into office through their primary system? Is like they have to appeal to their base, and especially with Republicans, appealing towards conspiracies and kind of things that are very fringe but are on social media. Is there a way we can navigate around that and still build alliances? Um, I think so. I guess um, I, I do like the way that Republicans, they've instituted their different uh, nominating process in which the Democrats could get something similar. But that's neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's difficult, but it is attainable to, I guess that's a multi-level question. Well, it, when you have to play to your base so much and try to, like, especially because so many people are bound to conspiracies, like about the election or about COVID, etc., it's kind of, you're not you're not on the same battlefield anymore. One person's playing football on a football field, and the other person's playing football on the moon, right? Like, you're just playing yeah. in two different places. How do you bridge those kind of divides? Or can well, you? Well, some, 
yeah, that's a big one. Some people are too far gone. I mean, when you're injecting ivermectin because you think that's uh, better than like just getting a regular booster shot, I mean, it's hard to get those people. It's hard to reach those people. As a Democrat, they see that you're a Democrat. They're not going to fool with you. If I had an R next to my name, I could have won in a landslide. And I've had people tell me that in my inbox personally. They've asked me to join the Republican Party because they like me. They like my ideas. They don't like that D next to my name. And that's the only thing holding them back. And I think that's wild. But I guess on the Republican side, when you're playing to like a base like that, you do have to be careful. And I think that's why Glenn Youngkin is seen as a moderate. He's not actually a moderate. He's moderating his speech. He's trying to appeal to the big donors while still not getting um, called out by his base, the more wild right-wingers. I know when he had that debate with CNN and he spoke to the transgender young man and um, his base was pissed on Twitter. They were like, why aren't you calling him? And I'm putting quotation marks because they weren't saying he, him pronouns. They were saying all kinds of other stuff. They were mad that Glenn Youngkin didn't outright misgender this child. They were pissed. Mm -hmm. And he lost some points with his base for that. So he's walking a very fine line right now. And, I, you know, people talk about how the January 6th rioters, for example, that they lost because Biden was sworn in. But it sounds like, from my experience here in Pennsylvania, from your experience and what you're seeing in Virginia, that, sure, they may have lost that battle, but they have made their... Republican leaders scared of them, right? Like, we oh have, yeah, and, and like I think that people who are kind of casually watching don't realize how literally frightened moderate to conservative Republicans are of their base. They're terrified. I mean, if you're not right, right, right wing, you're getting out of there. They're going to try to primary you as best they can. We're seeing it in Virginia in primary season right now. I mean, we've got people literally moving because they know. That they're uh, so they were drawn into a district with another incumbent. So it's two incumbents, and the one that's further to the right, they get to stay. The mm-hmm. one that's maybe more moderate, they're getting out of there. They're moving to new districts. They're resigning, this and that, and you can see that just on the national level too. I mean, they're terrified. Doesn't that make it kind of harder to even have those relationships? Because the more moderate people. It's just too big of a fight. They're too afraid of their base. They're not going to win the primary. So. The people who end up staying, even if you win the majority, are the people who you're not going to be able to build alliances with because they are so far gone on the other side. 100%. It's going to be an uphill battle in the next 10 years. I truly do believe that. So with that in mind, how do you? what's your plan for, for winning this election in, uh, for the state Senate? What kind of things do you think you could do to be an effective candidate? Talking to voters one-on-one, 100%. That's where we're really going to focus. Um, I think that's where the most effective change comes from. When people see someone has come to their door to talk with them specifically, they start to soften up. Mm-hmm. They start to really take you seriously because you're taking them seriously. I mean, the really crazy right-wing people, they're not taking the time to do that. And so that's when they really see, oh, well, this person does care about my life bill. They're not just after, like, transgender people. They're not just saying, F Joe Biden. This person actually does care about me on a day-to-day basis. And that gets people's attention. What do you think is, um, will have, what do you think is a benefit of Democrats generally focusing on more rural districts, 
um, more red districts, I guess, because a lot of them, they just write them off and assume, well, we're not going to win there. We're just going to win the, do what we can to win a majority. But when you go to places like your district, I imagine that that can kind of change how people's thinking even slightly about what a Democrat is. Oh, yeah, that's something we really need to be working on because, hey, it might not work out for us this year. It might not work for us in the next two election cycles. But that incrementalism is how you win 10, 20, 30 years from now. And that's going to mean everything to our children, our grandchildren. I mean, I'm 25. It's going to mean everything to me, say, when I run again in 25 years. Yeah, and with that in mind, we want to get more young people into office. I talk about what it would be like if we had more majority female legislatures. But the age difference in all levels of office, from school board on up, is very. You, you've seen it, obviously. It's part, probably part of the reason you're running. What would be the impact of having a more sizable group of people in their 20s in state government? I mean, it would be a no-brainer, really. I mean, we've got people legislating stuff about, like, say, the Internet, for example, who aren't digital natives. They haven't grown with the Internet. They haven't seen how it's changed in the past 10, 15 years. And, like, I mean, there's people in office now. They grew up using a rotary phone. No offense to them, but that's not my experience. And so we do need those people who are going to make laws about the Internet and about digital privacy, for example. I mean, there's a proposed law floating around right now about submitting your ID to certain websites. That's a horrible idea with how easy it is for information to get leaked and doxed out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't want just anybody having that kind of data. So um, having uh, politicians who know about that kind of stuff is vital to having a functional government, a functional economy even just 10 years in the future from now. With that in mind, you have some experience running already. You, you have experience as a young person and all the challenges it involves. What would be your words to encourage someone now to, to not just give up and to make the leap and run for office? What kind of first steps would you recommend? I guess first steps is talking to your network, getting involved with your local Democratic committees. I mean, I knew that mine existed. I didn't know exactly what they did or how often they did it getting involved with them is really truly the first step because they're there to help you they want to see young people they're incredibly excited they're not going to turn you away just because you're young and i don't want people to be afraid of that kind of thing you might get a couple of detractors here and there but overall they're really excited to see young people getting involved and we want you to get involved and hopefully have a successful campaign. If people want to learn more about you, where would you recommend they go to learn more about your campaign? Um, I'd recommend they go to my website, jadeharrisva.com. It's got links to all my social media, a donation page, my platform, about me. Basically, everything is hosted there. Yeah, I, I've learned a lot from going there. Um, if there's any one thing you want to leave people listening to this, um, hopefully to be encouraging... Um, what would be your kind of words of hope about where we can go with our politics? I think words of hope would be like, stay the course, keep an eye on the prize, keep an eye on the future. Everything we do is about the future, not the immediate now. Well, I appreciate that you're looking out for the future. And if you're listening, hopefully you'll listen to future podcasts and uh, check out some of the other guests we'll have. Uh, Thanks, Jade. And I really wish you the best of luck there in Virginia. Thank you so much, Tony. Great talking to you today. And if you're listening, maybe you should consider running for office too.